0: Hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to VUX World. I'm your host, as always, Kane Sims. And today I'm joined by Robert Cunningham, who is the Innovation Manager at LNER, who have been on a Pretty decent journey as far as conversational AI is concerned. We're going to be talking all about digital avatars and a whole bunch of other conversational AI solutions that they've been implementing, uh, and we're going to get some learnings about uh, how to do this properly uh, in the enterprise in just a moment. But first, before we do that, uh, shout out to our presenting sponsor, Deepgram. Uh, If you don't know Deepgram by now, they are industry-leading speech recognition providers. Uh, Incredible accuracy, very quick response times, uh, decent pricing, Crucially, and this is the thing I've been banging on about more recently, is when you create a voice application, maybe we'll learn a little bit about this today, uh, it is crucial that people under, that the bot understands people fundamentally, has to understand what's said. The first part of understanding what's said is being able to perceive the words that come out of somebody's mouth. So you need to be able to transcribe what's said as accurately as you possibly can. Otherwise, you feed your NLU system with rubbish and you cause problems later on down the line. So getting the, the most accurate speech recognition possible is absolutely fundamental in having a successful voice AI initiative. And DeepGram will help you do just that. If you are interested and i uh, wanted to learn more please do visit deepgram.com forward slash vux world that is deepgram.com forward slash vux world you won't regret it they'll also do a baseline as well if you're interested in comparing it against other providers to see just how accurate it is uh then they can do a baseline as well and, and they'll help you with your uh, your requirements and your selection process so Deepgram.com forward slash V U X world. Now, without further ado, please, ladies and gentlemen, welcome today's guest, Robert Cunningham of LNR. Robert, welcome.
1: Hi, Kane. How are you? Thanks uh for having me on today. That's really great. I've learned a lot from your podcasts as well. So uh really it's a pleasure
0: to talk to you today as well. Nice one. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's been, uh, it's been going for a while. I think a good sign of, uh, of when you must be doing something right is when you end up having conversations with people about certain things and a podcast episode comes up. Oh, we spoke to so-and-so on a podcast about this and check that. And it's kind of like we've been going so long now that there's so much content there. Most conversations you have, there's an episode in the backlog somewhere which is, which yes. is full of decent content, you know?
1: Yeah, you're producing content faster than I can consume it at the moment. Yeah,
0: (laughs) I know. I think we need to slow down a little bit. It's coming thick and fast. Um, But it's all good. It's all all really interesting stuff Um, and is, you know, the industry itself in general is moving so fast as well. Every week there's more funding, there's more deployments, there's all sorts of stuff going on. And so just trying to keep across it all is uh, becoming more and more challenging, which is, why, which is why we have conversations like this, to, to find out what's going on and to you know, share the best practice and, and help people who are trying to do the exact same thing, basically, try and do it well. But uh yeah, I appreciate you joining us. Uh only from up the road. I forgot you were in York. We could we could have done this in a in a coffee shop somewhere, couldn't we? <laughs> on on the on the Dales as you've been uh, recently.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <clears throat> nice. So uh maybe we'll start with uh we get a lot of people listening in from from uh the US, South America, Europe, Asia. And I think everyone in the UK will be familiar with LNER, but perhaps maybe for some context, it'd be nice to introduce LNER and also introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about what you do at LNER as well, perhaps.
1: Yeah, sure. So, uh, well, let me stay with LNER first. So LNER is um, is a train operating company, it's what they call it in the UK. And um, obviously it works um, um, uh, in, in the previous model, should we say. Um, LNER was one of the franchised train operating companies that... Uh, operates trains up and down the UK. Uh, LNER mostly focuses or is their franchise originally was for the East Coast Main Line that goes from London up to Edinburgh, Inverness, uh, Glasgow, and Leeds and serves a number of stations throughout. So um, um, we have been, or LNER has been operating uh, that service for a number of years now. And if you are in the UK, you will be familiar with the way that the Rail network in the UK is split into a number of different franchises. Um, LNER is currently now operating under the DFT, uh, so the Department for Transport. And uh, within LNER, uh, there is an uh, innovation team, and I'm, I'm one of the innovation managers in that innovation team. And our job really is to help um, uh, our colleagues around the business within LNER uh, uh, develop innovation, innovative projects also look for innovation for our customers and really um, focus on the digital side, I guess, from an innovation point of view. There's there's all sorts of innovation, I guess, in terms of commercial innovation, um, engineering innovation. But I guess we focus primarily on digital innovation and trying to improve the customer experience for our passengers. And also, um, uh, helping our employees um, do their job better in, in whatever way that, that, that means, really.
0: Mm, interesting, interesting. So, so, I mean, looking at your LinkedIn, you've you've got a lot of experience um, in technical roles, a lot of experience in the call center, uh, experience on the on the Internet of Things side as well, which may have pro- potentially started straying into this this kind of automation, kind of AI touch. I'm wondering where your initial kind of interest in in the whole conversational AI NLP thing came from
1: think for me, I mean, I've always been, as you said, if you look at my LinkedIn, I'm always been a little bit of a techno geek. <laughs> so, uh, and my history uh, has always been in the technical background and um, I'm quite a big fan of smart, uh, smart home automation, etc. And, um, you know, Alexa, the rise of Alexa and the rise of uh, Google Assistant and natural language processes. Um, I've been following for a number of years and... Um, It's a channel in that whole omni channel environment that we all talk about that I think is obviously, you know, it's always just around the corner, I guess. But I think in the last um, two or three years, it's really getting to a level of maturity where it, it should be considered alongside some of the more traditional channels now. And I know there's still going to be a number of people that are hesitant to use voice. I think that's becoming less and less, and I'm, I'm sure there will be a crossover at point at which, at which point it'll just be another channel like email, like web, like um, um, chatbot, like uh, the contact center. It'll just be another channel that sits alongside of those. But I think you know there's really great things that NLP and uh, avatars, as well, on top of that, can really add to the experience. So I'm quite interested in how we can move that forward and how that can work for customers in travel, specifically because I work at LNER, but I'm kind of more interested for myself how this technology will go, take us forward and, and, and how it will end up really and where we'll see it going to.
0: Hmm interesting but well, it is it is a, a new channel but it's also uh, proliferating within existing channels as well you know call centers ripe for this kind of stuff a lot of innovation happening there uh, within apps as well and on websites and stuff like that so it's kind of one of those really unique things that is you know it's a new technology paradigm a new user interface paradigm that is establishing new channels, as you say, with digital avatars in physical environments, as we'll see, uh, voice-enabled devices, plus your likes of the voice assistant platforms. But uniquely, it's also a technology that can exist and does exist within existing channels, which is quite a unique yes. thing.
1: And I think it can also complement those existing channels and, and um, dare I say, provide some of that, um, uh, take away some of that rep- repetitivity. From, mm. from other channels and, and, and provide a more real-world experience to the customers, but also then provide a lower cost of serving that customer for um, for companies, uh, mm. at the same time giving a, a premium experience. So I think it will be interesting to see how how far Avatar can go and how far natural language processing can go. In We know it can answer lots of simple questions, but it's those kind of contextual questions where you've had two or three iterations of a conversation. We know it still struggles with that kind of stuff, but I don't know whether that's going to be solved in the next five years, the next 10 years, but I think it will be, and that will be really interesting. But it, it, I also think with avatars and with NLP, right now it can really serve a useful purpose, purpose in, in in helping at least some of the more simple repetitive questions that customers often ask. FAQs in a station, for an example. And uh, letting then employees do the more higher value uh, um, actions or or answer the more difficult questions and give that better level of service.
0: Interesting. You mentioned earlier there that that over the last three years, it's kind of matured to the point where the channel or the technology really needs to be considered uh, amongst everything else as almost an equivalent rather than an experiment kind of thing. What are some of the things that, for those tuning in that maybe haven't experienced or, or maybe new to trying to figure out the kind of natural language processing technologies, what are some of the things that you've observed over the last three years or so that are kind of signifiers of its maturity. Like, what kind of things have matured? Do you think over the last three years that make it uh, more, uh, more, more of a safe bet perhaps than it was five years ago?
1: So, I think obviously the the, the quality of understanding is increased. So that's that's important. Obviously, um, it, it, people don't like interacting with a channel where you know seventy percent of the or thirty percent of the time they don't get the right response. And or it's an inconsistent response. And and I think um the the, the big guns, should we say, with Google and um and, and, and the other players with natural language processes have really improved on understanding and then before matching, matching that pattern of understanding to the right response. So I think that's that's there's still a way to go on that and we can talk a bit about uh the limits of what you can do in a noisy environment as well. Mm. I mean obviously we've got things like I'm going to say Alexa. We talked about saying not saying Alexa, so I'm going to say a <laughs> But in a quiet environment, NLU uh, is is quite um, highly accurate. But in a noisy environment, then it, it it's it's a it's a more challenging thing. Mm. And I think also, um, I what I've noticed in the last couple of years is that the um, providers of the ecosystems are realizing that this needs to move away from a very technical engineering-driven task to program a natural language processing tool to become a more of a business tool that someone who's not a doctorate in NLU <laughs> speech, synth- speech synthesis and, and programming can, can operate. Because at the end of the day, businesses won't have those kind of people for the, mass, for the, for the large part. They need business tools that they can relate to which Mm. allow them to answer FAQs, program, but in a a very non-technical, non-programming way. And um, I was interested, I think I saw, I think you mentioned or you were talking to Cognigy a few
0: Mm.
1: episodes back and I saw some of their kind of um, flow diagram programming, which is more, it's still quite technical, but I think Mm. it's moving towards that business-orientated programming approach where you don't need to have a doctorate in, in Python or, or or other different languages, just to try and get the NLP to behave the way you want it
0: to. Mm. Yeah, definitely. It's good. The, the platforms themselves, like the Cognigys are really coming along a long way because they're able to spend time because they don't. Well, Cognigy does have its own NLU, but because a lot of these platforms are essentially kind of like layers over the top of existing NLU systems, like Google's and Microsoft, etc., they can focus on that stuff rather than the accuracy of the nlu <clears throat> and so yeah. you can see you know cognitive have got some really impressive features the the attention to detail around permissions and stuff like that is really good we had uh Kishore Reddy from Yellow AI, CTO of Yellow AI, on the podcast last week, and he was talking about the the layers underneath the kind of that initial interface design side of things. So you've obviously got the canvas to create your your floors and stuff like that, but then underneath that, this kind of like business process layer. Mm. where you can almost map the business process to the conversation and then you know so so it's almost like those those platforms now they're not really conversational AI platforms in a sense one they're business automation platforms yeah. uh, and customer experience platforms really yeah. beyond anything else which is a really interesting uh, development yeah
1: and there's lots of I guess there's there's a there's a bringing together of different technologies isn't there, when, where it's obviously um, NLP is considered maybe just a front end, but on the back end, you need uh, uh, what's it uh, business process or robotic process mm-hmm. automation and things like that. And there are other companies that are specializing in that. But the great thing is, um, you know, the ecosystems these days are a lot easier to plug together through APIs and and standard kind of REST uh, APIs and things like that on the back ends. So it's no longer a really hard task to interface one, connect one subsystem to another subsystem, Mm -hmm. uh, which traditionally, I'd say five years ago even, could could really blow a project's costs out of the water in terms of it just wasn't worth the effort because it was too hard to do that engineering between the two products. Mm -hmm. And now they're almost... Yes we've got a connector for this here, and we've got a connector for that there and you can just with a little bit of understanding plug them together and they can talk to
0: each other mm. yeah makes makes everyone's lives a lot easier um especially for some of these capabilities you'd never get anything off the ground um so I'm curious then so so when did the kind of journey with LNER start then from from the conversational automation perspective what was some of the first where, where did the initial idea come from and what were some of the first examples of things that you were experimenting with
1: so um so lner as you you know if you've been to our website um or if you've uh interacted with lner you're probably aware that we've got an omni-channel environment and you can reach us over the web you can reach us over context uh, um, contact center through a uh, uh, chatbot on the web Email, number of different uh, ways to reach, and we have an LNER app uh, where you can book a train service, etc. Um, and I guess from an innovation point of view, we're always looking at what's the next progression on in the omnichannel environment. We obviously um, chatbots are a kind of first stage of that. The chatbots. Um, sometimes are quite limited in fact in the, in the way that they can integrate to back-end systems and sometimes they're kind of quite disjointed um, uh, we are trying to see how we can move our omnichannel environment to be more consistent across the channels so that a customer no matter which channel a customer interacts on they get the same consistent response and so whether you go to the website or whether you go to the contact center or whether you go on the chat bot or whether you speak to uh, a digital avatar, you get the same consistent response, um, which is sounds obvious. But for large organizations, that's not necess- when you're working with multiple suppliers that are all providing different pieces of the puzzle. That's not necessarily always a, an easy thing to do. So I guess from. Um, Coming back to your question on how did we get into voice? It was really, um, uh, we saw some interesting technology, um, um, our CIO saw some interesting technology in a European country and as a rail operator, they were experimenting with providing, um, uh, um, live voice interaction in this, in the railway, in the station environment to answer queries. Um, to provide rail timetable information and kind of answer those kind of very, as I said, very simple, automated, um, repetitive uh, questions that um, our staff would be more than happy to answer in the station. But staff do have a primary role and they usually sometimes the staff are doing a very important role in the station and safety is their concern. So if we can help uh, resolve some of those questions in the station. Um, that would be uh, an ideal. And also I think we noticed that there are a number of customers who will interact digitally with us using the website, using the mobile app, etc. But there are, um, in the UK at least, still a large uh, part of our customer base don't want to interact necessarily digitally and they will be the type of person that would go into a station and buy a ticket from the ticket office uh, speak to a member of staff, get on the train, and, and really not have uh, used our digital journey or not, um, uh, uh, not have explored our digital journey at all. And so one of the things we were interested in seeing were with this um, uh, European operator was whether their technology could be used in a station environment to address that type of customer profile, that type of persona, um, and if we could replicate the experience of speaking to a member of staff, whether that, that would be something that um, that persona would use instead of actually speaking to a member of staff. Now, obviously, there are a number of questions and there are a number of, um, uh, um, there are a number of situations in which you do want the person to speak to a, a member of staff, if it's anything kind of to do with safety or the or person's uh, maybe... Um, feels that they're, uh, they're feeling ill or in trouble or something like that, you do want them to speak to a member of staff. But there's not a lot of questions that are asked in station are things like where is platform three? How do I get to, plat- how do I, where, where can I buy coffee? When's the next train to Leeds, etc. So these are all simple questions or trivial questions, should we say, to be answered by a an natural language processing engine. And then if we can package that in a more familiar format with an avatar, We thought that would be an interesting um, thing to see how that would work in a station environment. (laughs)
0: Mm, Interesting. So where did you start then? Presumably you had some degree of intelligence. You mentioned the chapter on the website. <clears throat> presumably the chatbot had some degree of in, you know, capability to answer perhaps similar questions already? Were, were you starting completely cold or were you starting from the point of view of we've already got a chatbot that's having conversations already, we can build on that? Where, where did you start when you kind of wanted to explore this?
1: So we do have the chatbot and the chatbot was uh, able to answer a number of um, questions that are web-related and help navigate around the web and some FAQs. But from the avatar point of view uh, with this particular project, we really did start um, just with the FAQs that we trolled from around the business. So what was on the website, what was, we did lots of interviews with actual station staff. Um, This, this particular pilot that we ran was in Newcastle station. And so we worked uh, co-collaboratively with the, the staff in that station to say, well, what do you get asked? Because you know, what happens on the website and the kind of questions that happened on the website are not context sensitive to Newcastle station. So when we um, interviewed staff and asked them what they were asked, it turns out they're asked a much wider range of questions than are rail related. They're asked questions about the wider city environment, products in the station environment, how to get to you know, particular locations outside of what we would consider our sphere of influence. So, um, yeah, from that point of view, it was very kind of driven by what we thought the needs were. Well, just going back to that station environment, what 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 did we think the needs would be of a customer walking through the station? What what do they need to do to travel? And some, mm. some people in the station are not actually traveling. They might be picking someone up. They might be meeting someone. So there's different needs and different requirements in, in that respect as well.
0: Mm, interesting. Positioning this thing, you know, is is a an interesting interesting challenge, isn't it? Because once you have a a kind of avatar in a physical space like a train station, you, you know it would be kind of you'd be forgiven for thinking that this thing is there for the train station and the entire of all of the different trains that go in and out of it, all of the different things that it does. Whereas LNER, it operates, you know one route albeit very busy and primary route but there's other trains coming in and out of Newcastle train station as well yeah. did you have to consider how you positioned this thing
1: so yes I mean so um it, it, there are a number of questions we can't answer on behalf of other train operating companies but obviously um coming back to it just a little education for your viewers um train operating companies also manage stations. So LNER has a number of stations, 11 stations that are managed by us. And therefore, when we manage a station, we're not managing it just for ourselves. We're managing it on behalf of the whole train operate, whichever train operators are coming through that environment. So so we were mindful that we were still answering questions for the wider audience, not just LNER audience. However, we did obviously have more specific uh, advice for people who are traveling with LNER. And, and obviously things like rail timetabling, et cetera, that's very easy to answer for the whole community, community because there are uh, well-published APIs and back-end uh, connections to rail platforms, which, which will relay that information quite easily.
0: <clears throat> Interesting. And what form did this avatar take then? Was it kind of on a big screen? Was it kind of a chopped-out hologram? Like how did it actually manifest itself?
1: Yeah, so this avatar, which we called uh, the we gave the uh, the avatar a persona. We called her Ella, and so it was presented as a female um, um, customer service representative, if you like, on a large six foot digital signage screen. So it was almost at kind of human height, and the idea is you would walk up to that um, digital plinth or totem and uh, this particular one used uh, camera recognition to trigger a conversation so you don't do any touch with this avatar touch was available but to engage in the initial interaction it was just a matter of standing in front of uh, the avatar like you would stand in front of a customer service representative Uh, she would then start with a salutation and then you would ask your question and then as the trial went through, as the pilot went on, we um, played around with doing different things with the screen to prompt better interaction uh, with the customer and also help the customer. And I think one of the things we learned was we really need to help the customer understand when to speak and when not to speak. Because as you know, natural language processing doesn't like interruptions. And so um, it was really trying to make the conversation as good as it could be with the limits of nlp where it's kind of you speak then it speaks you speak then it speaks whereas if it was an all human conversation we can almost overlap each other and and we don't have a problem understanding that whereas nlp i think still is challenged in that area Uh, and i think that was one of the learnings is how how we can educate the customer to speak in a more natural language processing-friendly manner, she was <laughs>
0: and and how do you do that? Uh,
1: the way we did it was really uh, because we had the avatar, we tried to use um, uh, semantics in the way the avatar presented itself, like listening and things like that, and also we actually played back uh, um, played back the text that the person was speaking, so they got or um, uh, visual recognition straight back that they were being understood because what before at the beginning of the project we didn't have that and I think a lot of customers didn't, weren't confident that they were being heard so it was really important to actually relay back to the customer actually we, we are translating what you're saying and we can hear you and they knew then from that visual kind of feedback that they were being understood and it also allowed them to understand when to stop the conversation and wait for a response because they knew something was processing. Almost like if if we're on a computer, you know, when we see the mouse and we see that little thing going around a car, kind of, we, we instinctively know, okay, that means the computer's doing something. We had to kind of almost design a kind of visual language around letting the customer know something is happening in the background.
0: Interesting. Yeah. It's almost like because it's... It's almost like a new interface type, and so you kind of need to, because obviously people are starting to get familiar with smart speakers, a lot of people talk to their phones. You mentioned though that the demographic in this instance was very specifically people that don't potentially talk to their phones, Um, and so for them it's an entirely new interface type. Um, and even for most people, not a lot of people have actually had conversations with an avatar sitting in front of them. Even if they do use the phone all the time, you know, voice isn't on the phone. And so I suppose you've got to almost like bring it right back to the basics, haven't you? Show yeah. them when it's listening. Show them what's actually being said. Uh, maybe kind of like help them, you know, un, un, yeah, help them understand how to use it. Basically, when to speak, when yes. not to speak, when it's thinking, when Sorry. it's when it's processing.
1: So it's a new modal channel to most people. They're not used to walking up to a, what is basically a digital signage platform and interacting with it via speech. And, you know, we all use, uh, I'm sure people have used Alexa and Google Assistant in their homes. And you've kind of, without realizing it, got to realize what the capabilities of that platform are and how you interact with it. And you'll start with the hot word and then you'll say what you want to. Um, You know, some people start with a hot word, wait for a response and then ask their question. Some more advanced users might do the hot word and go straight into the question, knowing that the platform will understand both. So there's a kind of a language there that's already going on just in a kind of a home environment. And when you introduce the avatar itself, I think that kind of introduces a new dimension because now a person thinks, okay, I'm gonna speak to this like I'm speaking to a normal human. But of course we know an avatar isn't quite a normal human at this moment in time. And there are still technical limitations, as I said, about overlapping speech and, uh, 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 and that kind of thing. So it's providing those visual clues that really helped. So I'd say from the beginning of the pilot to the end of the pilot, we really learned a lot about making sure that we make those visual clues stand out so mm. that people, um, if, if you don't get them right, People will have one interaction, won't have a good interaction, and then we'll walk away again and think, well, okay, that was just, uh, there was no resolution to my question. And what we really want to do with things like avatars is get resolution to the question. It's great having the technology and it's great having it in the station, but if it's not resolving an answer and they actually then walk off and talk to a member of staff to get resolution, basically the avatar has failed to do what it was supposed to do. (laughs)
0: Mm. So you mentioned there that you started um, trying to identify the use cases, going through, speaking to station staff, you know, trying to figure out what it is that people are going to need from this thing and you had learnings around that it's not just train timetables it's questions around the the whole station and and all that kind of stuff what was the kind of next step then Did, did you already have technology did you have internal capabilities like what was the process from identifying the types of conversations that this thing should have all the way through to designing the conversations the avatar building it implementing it i wonder if you could just walk us through some of the course kind of steps that you went through
1: um, so, from, from our point of view, is, uh, you know, obviously we weren't dealing with the technical side. That was our partner working on the technical side. But it was really from um, really about compiling that kind of list of intents and what are those keywords that need to be uh, referred to. Um, we had obviously a list of FAQs generated from the staff in the station. Um, um, we picked various locations around the city that were highlighted uh, from our surveys that say these are these are the, the main locations that are generally picked from members of the public. And then um, there's also obviously rail timetable information which needed to be fed into the avatar. When I say fed into the avatar, it's not quite that way, I guess. It's more the voice training for the uh, NLP unit to understand all those weird and wonderful rail station names, mm-hmm. which we went through a process of uh, 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 employing a number of volunteers within the business to uh, say all of the different railway station names in the UK <laughs> into uh, into a, a computer. And we were doing that kind of speech training so that the um, NLP unit had that kind of English lexicon of train station information. Um, Fortunately, as I said, there are quite well-published APIs to then, for that NLP to go off to a backend uh, rail data um, um, system and and get the destination or platform information for where where a train is departing or arriving from. So so that was up to the partner to do that, but that that was quite well-published API to be able to do that. But I think, yeah, the training of the rail language and the way people speak in a station environment was something that they didn't have. So we had to go through that process with them of of, 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 of learning and speech training the avatar mm. to be able to pick out uh, very specific rail terms or station names,
0: mm. and you've obviously been given that it's in Newcastle. And I think I can get away with this, given that I'm from just up the road from Newcastle. You've got a uh, the accent situation to deal with in the. Yes, so we did Wars have dialogue
1: people. was fed in as well, so we did obviously try and include in that speech training people with a strong Newcastle dialogue, <laughs> um, uh, and we did. Uh, teach some uh colloquialisms should we say Mm. local colloquialisms to the avatar Um, so um i we did find actually during the pilot that they weren't used that much interesting Uh, that that may well be because uh when people are interacting with natural language processes or or with avatars they probably assumed that it couldn't speak that kind of dialect yeah, and went into their best English, should we say? Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, for those that tried, they might have said "Why I?" or "Has it gone?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. They, would have, they would have got a response. <laughs>
0: interesting, interesting. Well, that's a good example of best practice there. You know, especially when you put it in a in a live environment as well, in a physical environment where you are, you know, doing something that is you know fairly short term if this is a pilot it's fairly short term so it's it's something that you want to try and get some learnings from but that's a, a step that a lot of a lot of organizations make is that they'll skip that retraining bit they all fall to pieces because it won't understand uh, mm-hmm. those kind of accents or colloquialisms or station names and stuff like that the whole thing falls to bits um but so it's good it's good that you did that so so you've gone through that process then you've created it you, you've put that into the train station how long was it there for
1: uh, we ran the trial for about ten weeks. It was actually there longer, but the
0: actual pilot was run for about ten weeks. <clears throat> okay, fair enough. <clears throat> and then, so you, you've alluded to kind of so far that during the pilot, things were being changed. You were yeah. you were, you put the transcript on it. I wonder if you can walk us through like what was that ten week period like? Was at the beginning was there some very specific things you were trying to learn? Were you generally capturing feedback and iterating? Like what was what was the ten week period like as far as the okay. learning side of things?
1: because this was a first-of-a-kind for us, we, we really um, only had some ideas from previous examples with our uh, partner as to what kind of questions might be asked and how people might interact. So um, the the questions kind of split up into eight different categories in terms of kind of, as I said, about um, real timetable information, product knowledge in station. So people might want to know where can I get a coffee? Um, um, uh, specific stores or shops uh, people want to see, then things like facilities, where is the toilet, that kind of thing. So we had around eight categories that we kind of subdivided the questions into. And then we um, we kind of made, monitored what those, um, what was most used, shall we say, over the pilot period. Um, we also then, um, at the beginning of the project, the screen was mostly the avatar. So the avatar uh, would interact with you as soon as you came up. But, but while customers or, or passengers were walking past the avatar, she was very kind of, she was just swaying, but she would move around a little bit, but not really um, beckon someone in. And one of, the, one of the things we wanted to understand about the avatar is whether we can, whether the avatar itself, Can create engagement because you could have all. We could have done all this with just a Google Assistant on a on a tablet, should we say, without the avatar. What the avatar brings, I think, is engagement and helps with that initial engagement with customers walking past. We we uh, hopefully the way we designed it, they would see this as an information help point, um, and and they would. recognize the avatar immediately as something they could speak to. But we did have to work on that because it's, as I said, it's not natural that you would just walk up and speak to a a digital signage platform um, in a station environment. There are lots of digital signs in the station environment already. So why is this one any one different? So we did have to market the fact that there was a trial going on and you could speak to this platform. But as the uh, the pilot went on, we we realized that we have to do a few more things on the screen. So as I said, we started to play with using the avatar to beckon people over. So she might now stop doing things like that (laughs) or, or, or or making certain signals that give you an indication that she was trying to engage with you. We also um, played around with the um, left-hand side of the screen, should we say to put more, um, uh, to put questions that rotated. So we would give the customer idea of what they could say because a lot of customers would walk up to an avatar and then also not, not really know what they wanted to expect from it. So um, in those situations, we found it helpful to have a rotating set of questions, you know, tri- you know, top questions that might want to be asked, like where is Platform 4? How can I get a coffee? Whereas my trainer gave them a visual clue as to how they could phrase a question. And then lower down, we had a number of international flags because another element of this pilot was to help with international language translation, uh, which uh, you know, uh, I would be the first to admit, I'm a typical English person and I don't speak any other languages very well. And uh, I know one of the pain points in our station for our staff is we do get lots of international travelers traveling throughout the UK on rail, and some of them don't have English as their first language. So if we could use the avatar to do that translation and answer those FAQs, um, that would have been a real bonus for us. So we really wanted to see if we could highlight to passengers that this was a facility that uh English plus other languages could be used okay, go on. I was just saying, and, it, and I think as we as we did go through the trial, as I say, I think there was kind of more on that development of prompting the conversation but also allowing the customer to understand when was the right time for them to speak, hmm. so um put in the subtitling on uh subtitling the answer as well because. Obviously, station environments are not the um, quietest environments. Lots of squealing of brakes and trains coming and going. And so um, it was necessary not only to translate for the passenger what we think they said, but also then translate the answer as well, because sometimes um, they couldn't quite hear what the avatar was saying. Mm -hmm. So um, I think noise, I know we can talk about noise, but noise was a real challenge. For this kind of technology in the station, and and that's something that we need to work on going forward.
0: Was there presumably there was um, there must have been? I imagine that you sounded. It sounds like you're working with a partner who has done this kind of stuff previously. Mm -hmm. There must have been um, a suspicion that noise would play a factor. Did you do anything in that development process to train the speech recognition models? in the station environment or what did you do previously and during so, in order to
1: cater so we did for the noise? background recording of the station environment and the partner uh, obviously um, had some noise cancellation technology on the hardware side um and they did some modeling and testing of the speech um analytics shall we say with with that kind of background noise going on uh i think um um like most vendors in this area, they're software vendors and mm. not necessarily hardware vendors. Mm. And so the hardware we used was a kind of a rented platform, uh, which had um, microphones, it had cameras, etc. But I think there was some work we could still do on the hardware side to make the um, recording and the speech um, legibility come through quick, clearer. Uh, and that wasn't obviously um, this partner's um, primary concern. They, as, as I said, you, you probably know from your conversations, most of the vendors in this area are kind of very software-based companies. Yeah. Um, and this, um, this technology, if it's going to be used in a station environment, we need the perfect hardware mixed with the perfect software. And so I think uh, that there is still some work that we need to look at as to how we get that better. Mm. Um and I think that was a learning point for us. We knew that we knew that we knew the station environment would be a challenging environment. But I don't think um we knew how challenging environment would be with the unpredictable noise and the the noise levels in a station can ebb and flow over five or ten minutes depending on whether trains are coming and going and whether a, a, a number of passengers are flowing through the station. So it's really kind of quite unpredictable. Mm. But um, I think what we learned from this is that we do need to focus as much on the hardware as we do on the software going forward and how we solve that. And I think one of the other learning points was giving conversational privacy to passengers, because although um, there was quite a few individuals that were willing to try it out, we did sense with, um, you know, when we were standing beside the avatar and asking and surveying customers to how they, felt the experience where there was some nervousness around openly speaking in public to an NLP processing unit or to (laughs) an avatar. And um, in a noisy environment, you do have to speak up quite a lot. So
0: uh,
1: do you really want to be announcing to the world your plans and what your desires are (laughs) to an avatar? And how do we get that to be a more private conversation, but in a public setting? So again, that comes down to, I think, hardware design. And how can we make the hardware in and uh, how can we design hardware to be uh, to give a little bit more privacy? I mean, I always think if you remember those old American kind of programs uh, like um, the American um, cop shows and they would go to a phone box and it would have a kind of perspex booth around yeah. it And it gave that kind of privacy. I mean, it's those kind of lessons from back in the old days of telephone that we need to maybe need to apply to avatars in station environments to give that private conversation, to give them more confidence to use the service and and be able to speak to it and and also understand. I think there's also some more work that can be done with um, microphone technology and and noise cancellation.
0: Hmm. Yeah, you can use beamforming and stuff like that to to hone in on where the signal's coming from and stuff but it does take a, you need an array of mics rather than a lot of the hardware units. I don't know which ones you were using, but a lot of those kind of hardware units just have kind of like one or so mics at the bottom of the screen. Yeah, yeah. And it's so often it's kind of like below where the voice is coming from, and there's just one mic, and it's basically pointing at your groin. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> you kind of need an array all the way around to to use beamforming to then pick up where the signal's coming from. Yeah, um, and I don't know uh, at the moment.
1: Like you said, you know, if you you know, the the ones in your home and stuff, they have these far-field microphone um, technology, Um, but it is built for a very quiet environment. A noisy environment really changes whether that that technology can be used. And I don't know right now if far-field technology is the the right way to do it, or do we need better noise cancellation technology? Or Mm. do we need to somehow, as we said, kind of, uh, as you said, beamform or redirect the conversation so that it's very it's much more between the receiver and the speaker and most of the extraneous noise is cut out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a combination of it all I think. You know, I think some of the OEMs in the in the head units for vehicles tend to do tend to do a half-decent job. They've obviously got the beamforming mic arrays, which basically zone in on the speaker. But then they're used to having that background noise, which they, you know... I think, actually, some speech recognition providers prefer to have it in, and they'll cut it out themselves, whereas some prefer to try and cut it out first and send a, a, a more cleaner kind of audio signal. But it's kind of a combination of the whole lot, because that's the very first point of call, isn't it? If you take rubbish in... Then yeah. you get rubbish out. And I think with car manufacturers it's it's a little bit easier because the noise of the vehicle is constant. It's Whereas in a train it's still, cold environment, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Train station, like you could be having a conversation, all of a sudden, boom, There's an announcement coming through with someone announcing a train. Yeah. So you've got another another verbal cue coming in at the same time as you're trying to talk. And then people are stood behind you having conversations, and then one minute it's busy, next minute it's empty. So you've got reverb. There's a yes. whole bunch of issues to try and contend with there. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. So the
1: sound, the sound level or the background sound is not predictable, um, in a in a nice way. Um, so yeah, I think there is, as you, as you said, there is, it's a combination of all those things, um, uh, giving more privacy, but noise cancellation, maybe uh far field micro, maybe using multiple microphones to capture and clean up the, uh, the, the, the sound file. Um, but I think that's something we still need to work on uh, going yeah. forward. That was one of the, the, the um, one of the learnings from this pilot.
0: Mm. But
1: I think also um, what was interesting for me was the customer's or passenger's reaction to walking up and talking to a static platform, should we say, and talking mm. to an avatar. And so you've got a very uh, varied range of customers who immediately assumed they were talking to a, another human being. Um, and then you'd get, obviously, maybe people who are a bit more savvy would realize they would need to speak and then they would uh, wait for a response, and there would be a delay going off to the cloud to get response. And how long would that delay be? So we had to work on how making sure that that kind of delay was notified, as as I said, visually to the customers, so that they didn't then say a second thing, because then the conversation goes uh, on a down, downward spiral and end up ended up with no resolution. So uh, there, there are some interesting. Um, um, elements there that we've still got to work on, I think, to, mm. to educate customers as to how to uh, engage mm. with avatars. And I think the other thing on avatars as well is the type of avatar you choose. You can go for a real photo realistic or you can go down to very cartoon level. Um, the, the actual avatar we chose was kind of somewhere in between and, um, and the partner we work with deliberately chose somewhere in between because uh, from their experiences, using a very photorealistic lifelike avatar actually um, disengages some customers and they then don't realize they're speaking to an avatar and then do try and have that more human conversation. So again, the avatar itself is a visual clue, but you don't want it to be too real. You want the passenger to realize they're talking to a bot or an avatar at the end of the day and not to a a real agent, should we say.
0: Mm, Interesting. And I suppose the the too cartoony makes it almost seem a little bit too gimmicky, like a a little bit less trustworthy than it would be. You know, am I going to get a real sensible answer out of this thing if it's like a cartoon sort of thing?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I don't know where that line is. I think you just have to try different ones. And I think um, that raises an interesting point, which was about um, different passengers want their avatars to have different representation to be more like them
0: mm-hmm.
1: so there isn't i think there isn't one avatar that you can go with you might brand your avatar but you probably will need a set of avatars that then you can if you're using in this in this pilot we use camera recognition so facial recognition so um it would be um not not beyond uh, imagination to be able to then profile the passenger or the the person in front of you and then match your avatar to the profile of that demographic of that person, which I think is probably a a really good way to go to just make sure there's an inclusivity element.
0: Mm. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, It does really open up a whole bunch of additional questions you know with the whole the avatar you've got the multimodal side of things to consider you've got all of your environmental things to consider you've got the things you mentioned around additional design supports around the transcriptions and stuff like that but then you've also got the additional um, design consideration of simply the avatar itself like when it's talking and mm-hmm. giving directions does it point if it's giving directions to the toilets mm-hmm. that are over there or does it stay sort still you've got a whole load of considerations to take on you know when you're designing so as soon as you put an actual physical thing there you've got a whole load more things to contend with
1: yeah and once you have you know once you're talking to an avatar you're, you're basically talking in two modes because you're using speech but you've also got a screen in front of you so we did try and utilise the screen then to do things like mapping and give directions so she uh, the avatar Ella could just hold a map and show you where you wanted to go in the station and then you could link off to the QR code that you could then scan with your smartphone if you wanted to to take to give you a a digital map of the station or or of the city environment. So um, I think that was a really helpful thing to be able to go between the speech and the screen Mm. uh, to to provide a better experience. And certainly if you're going to go, we, we didn't do it in the pilot, but we didn't do any kind of transactional services like buying a ticket. But if you were to buy a ticket, then, you know, if you, you, you'll be familiar with rail in the UK, Kane. there's mm. a number of different tickets you can buy for a journey. Uh, it can be quite complicated even on a website. Mm. If you were to try and relay that over a speech channel, how many different ticket options were available, it would quickly become um, unworkable from a speech conversation point of view. Mm. So that's where I think an avatar could then use the screen to actually show the options rather than speak the options, and then you then interact with touch. So you're using touch and speech to complete the transaction in a more natural way and a more efficient way.
0: Mm, Definitely. I think that's definitely where it's heading. Using, Using the modality for what it's best at, basically, you know. Um, so you mentioned there that you got a few learnings as, as far as you know customers. Uh, some people thought it was actually a human. Some people understood, based presumably on prior experience, that it was a bot and how to talk to it and stuff like that. Lots of learnings you got from how people are interacting with it, and lots of design decisions and iterations you made over the course of the trial. But you mentioned that the kind of aims of the whole thing in the first place was to try and see whether you can relieve some of the um, more kind of mundane tasks that don't really require human ingenuity or creativity and allow people that work within the station to focus on more pressing things like safety and and things like that. And to provide an outlet for some of those more kind of rudimentary queries for um, what you would say, the non-digital native demographic, so to speak. What was it? was it successful like what are some of the things that that you took from it as far as did it achieve what you set out to achieve
1: so i think you know from an innovation point of view we obviously measure these things um um in terms of kind of desirability feasibility viability so i think we proved there was a good a large a very high element of desirability um customers and employees, and we've got to remember employees are as equally important from our point of view, uh, really got how this could service passengers and increase passenger experience in the station environment. Um, In terms of um, the feasibility, we talked about some of the technical issues, and I think they've still got to be worked on. And, And because of that, I would say in that pilot, the accuracy, um, which then leads to resolution was not as good as, as high as it should be and, and, and we wouldn't roll it out based on that pilot at this moment in time. Notwithstanding mm-hmm. that if we can improve the hardware and we can develop different tools and techniques to improve that accuracy uh, and, and, div, and, and um, address the noise complexity in a station environment, then um, yeah, I think it would be very feasible that we could roll something like that in, in, in a different fashion. Um, but I think um, it's it's something that, it, from our point of view, we just we we really wanted to understand: Does the customer get resolution, and will uh, will that question answered by the avatar re- results in a reduced number of questions to staff? And from that point of view, when when the pilot was working, yes, the data did seem to indicate that. Uh, that uh, the avatar could resolve a certain amount of questions. And bear in mind, quite a lot of the questions in the station environment are people passing through wanting to know very simple information like, where is my platform or when is the next train to XXX? Um, And in terms of resolving those, it was very high actually. It was really, um, really easy to achieve high high, um, resolution on those types of questions. Obviously, when you get to the FAQs, if they're very standard FAQs, you can get good resolution. Um, And and as as I said, I'm kind of discounting the technical issues at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's always going to be a need for those complicated two or three kind of iteration questions, which I don't think an avatar is going to be able to deal with. But that's okay, because at that point, then you can refer them off to the information booth or to a member of staff to help. Mm. But if we can reduce um, the number of questions even by a small amount, that's a large, you know, that's a large bonus in terms of um, allowing the staff to be able to do what they need to do, but also giving resolution to the customer so they can move on. Because in in station environments, there's not always a member of staff exactly where you want them to be. So you might be at the far end of a platform. In this example, we had the avatar right in the center of the concourse of the station. So we we put it there deliberately for maximum effect and maximum uh, traffic flow through of passengers. But in a real world scenario, you would actually maybe want to use this avatar in the less populated areas of the station where there's unlikely to be a member of staff, but there is an avatar there to help you out.
0: Mm, And with the avatars, um, you could have one basically everywhere every platform, multiple wow. on each platform, you know, absolutely all over. And so you're well, never can... more than 50 meters away from one, which yeah, means so... that they could do the job of a hundred staff.
1: So, uh, exactly. And you could, you know, you could then put them in waiting rooms. You could put them on board a train if you wanted to. There's, there's, there's no limit to where you can put them then, is that? So it's mm-hmm. really then about uh, bringing down the cost of the conversation uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and having a product that's viable, um, so 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 that obviously uh avatars are still quite expensive at the moment in terms mm-hmm. of the design of avatars and the rights to own an avatar and and the uh and the digital uh, rights to have one um so I think once we've gone through a few iterations of this process, we would maybe get to a cost per conversation that was on par with where we'd need it to be mm,
0: interesting nice, well, very good. Kind of early signs though. I think, barring some of the hardware situations, um, and as you said, the cost for, for the actual avatar itself, uh, it sounds as though there's a lot of good learnings there. And I think, actually, to be honest, you'd have to spend a bit more, but I think you could find a hardware and software mix that would get better accuracy there's some some really good technologies out there that can work in noisy environments and for those people tuning in please do check out the conversation we had with andrew richards from soundhound all about this exact topic uh voice ai and noisy environments is really worth a listen um but yeah no hopefully then uh, in in a few years time if we uh, if we can continue to to kind of bring the cost of this sort of stuff down and improve the accuracy we might see some of these in a few more few more locations maybe
1: yeah, we'll watch this space, <laughs> but it's yeah. definitely an area that um, it, I think has got a lot of uh, value and I think it can deliver a lot of value to, to the passenger experience in the station. As I said, specifically for the customers, for the non-digital customers, should we say, uh, and, and there are always uh, certain segments of society that don't want to interact digitally. So um, this is one method. That can really help, I think, in a station environment. Mm,
0: mm, definitely, definitely. Wicked. Well, Rob, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, there's. Inevitably, actually, I forgot to mention, there's inevitably a customer experience benefit here as well. You touched on it already, but I can't help but think of the experience that I had in Manchester Airport a few weeks back, which is the worst experience ever. I was waiting for two and a half hours just to go through security. Queues backing out the the airport is absolutely horrific. And I will never fly from Manchester Airport again because of that <laughs> and so but imagine having that avatar across all the train stations you're giving everybody that's in those train stations a fantastic experience of traveling which encourages them to do the same thing again and when they go to another station that's not an LNER station they're like well what's going on here you know I can't get that I can't get your answers in my query I gotta go and what yeah. am I doing now
1: <laughs> yeah and there's a great need for information in the station it's surprising how many people do have a desire for information you what might come naturally to a commuter wandering through a station? I think we've got to realize a lot of um, people who travel on rail don't necessarily travel on rail that often. They might be making one or two journeys a year. They might be on a long haul journey to see the relatives of some major life event and train stations are still quite confusing places to them. Mm-hmm. And so technology like this, anything that can help alleviate that anxiety, when they're traveling is, is is a really good thing and what we're trying to do at LNR, to be honest.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Well, Robert, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, tomorrow we're speaking to Aisha Salim of Instacart, and we're going to be talking about how Instacart are utilizing conversational AI on their website, likely a chat interface, I'm assuming, but we'll find out tomorrow. And so hopefully we can see you then. Rob, appreciate it. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Kate.